Welcome to 360 Conversations. This is a podcast featuring powerful conversations with female thought leaders, experts, and founders. We will be digging deep while sharing experience, insights, and tips for busy Gen X women seeking ways to strip back, simplify, live intentionally, and create space for everyday joy. I'm your host, Tammy Thomas, founder of the 360 brand, and this is episode 18. Today, I'm joined by Jo Westwood. Jo is a life coach and an author, and she helps women escape from codependency, reclaim their lives with confidence, and live life lovingly fierce. Jo and I have a really candid discussion about codependency, her experience in codependent relationships, and the work that she does to support women focus on themselves give themselves the nourishing care they deserve, enabling them to make decisions and choices rather than coast in a life of people-pleasing and making themselves small because they are addicted to the dependence of relationships. Okay, I'll say that again. Relationships. This conversation may trigger some people because it's a really deep and frank conversation about taking ownership of your behaviour within codependent relationships. However, it is also beautifully enlightening. I love Jo's work, what she stands for, and I couldn't get enough of this conversation. Hello, lovely people. One day I will change up my greeting. Um, I'm mindful that I've said hello, lovely people so many times. I'm sure you don't mind because you are all lovely people. Uh, But enough of that. Over to this. I'm I'm really, really, really delighted to be sharing a conversation today with Joe Westwood. Joe and I connected on Instagram. Again, Instagram, my friendship bench. And... um, When um, I looked at her spiel and the work that she does, I knew I had to have a conversation with her on this podcast. I can be a straight talker and I do find myself on many occasions really thinking about how, how I want to deliver something because for some people hearing something straight down the line without lots of flowering like flowery language can be really difficult to accept um so when I went onto Joe's page and I saw some of the bullet points I was it was a sigh of relief because she's not messing about at all <laughs> at all so Joe is a life coach and an author And her specialism is helping women escape from codependency um, and providing them with tools that they can transfer into their day-to-day lives so that they can live a life which is free, lovingly fierce, and a life that they feel that they are in control of, but not like a, oh, I'm in control kind of way, but in a really joyful place of contentment. So also with my background in social work, when I read Joe's information, I just thought to myself, my goodness, 
There are so many women that I've worked with, women that have been in cycles of abusive relationships and have had no concept as to how they kept finding themselves in these abusive cycles and not understanding that it's not as simple as my partner's a perpetrator, I'm a victim, that in between there, there's nuances that need to be explored. If if I knew, of, well, the women that I know couldn't have afforded it and local authority, authorities certainly wouldn't be investing in it. But I just think that the work Joe does is so powerful. There are so many men and women that could people that could benefit. Um, so let me stop. This is just because I really rate her work. Joe. Hello. Hi, Tamu. Hi. Sorry, if all of that has made you feel awkward, that's not my intention. I just, <clears throat> your radical honesty, I bloody love it. Well, thank you so much. It has not made me feel awkward in the least. Good. Um, I, it, you summed up my work in a really beautiful way. Um, so I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I could just, I could listen to you read the phone book, quite honestly, <laughs> you have really beautiful voice and a really beautiful presence. So thank I could have just sat there mesmerized listening to you chat about anything all day. So thank you so much for having me on. It's such an honor. The honour is all mine. So for those of you that don't have the information I have and are not in a position to gush about you the way that I have, please could you tell my listeners a bit about yourself and what led you to doing what you do? Yes. So um, as you said, I'm a life coach. Um, I call myself the codependence coach. That's my special. Uh, that's my specialism. And um so I started coaching a few, a good few years ago now. Um, I'm 32 now. And I kind of, I was first exposed to the world of coaching and self-development actually through um, being like a social media and a marketer for other life and health and business coaches. Um, but I had already been on this kind of path in life for a lot longer than that. So as I said, I'm 32 now and I haven't really been single for more than a few months since I was 14 years old. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> I myself am codependent. I'm a, I, I'm a recovering codependent, um, do actively doing that work myself and, um, trying to help other women as well with the tools that I've learned and the things that I've learned and my recovery process to leverage themselves out of their codependency. Um, and so th there was a point a few years ago where I was kind of in the midst of this whole like coaching and self-development world, but also still stuck in my own patterns of codependency without realizing that that, that was what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so slowly, slowly that was kind of being revealed to me through various different lessons. The biggest lesson, however, was that I married a narcissist. Um, so a man who, uh, narcissistically abused me, um, my codependency, which I see as an addiction, um, I treat it as an addiction. I go to a group, a 12-step recovery group called Codependence Anonymous, um, which treats this kind of emotional and like relationship addiction that I have called codependency. Um, that definitely played into that dynamic. There's no way I would have married a person like that <clears throat> if I hadn't been codependent. So that's some of kind of what you mentioned in that intro mm -hmm. around those nuances between victim and perpetrator, it's actually kind of a dynamic that you create together. Mm -hmm. um, but it was that marriage that really pushed me into the realization because I'd, 
dated narcissists over and over again throughout my life. Like we just fit together like hand in glove. We just like, they were like bees around a honey pot over here. <laughs> and here I was just like sucking them all in mm-hmm. and loving it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it really took for me to get married to see if we'd have just been dating, I would have just left the relationship and it would have been, it, it would have been easier, but because we were married and, you know, I was never really the kind of person that wanted to get married. I wasn't like, I haven't been scrapbooking about my wedding dress since I was four years old. <laughs> like that was not my vibe. I was much more of like a destiny's child, independent woman kind of girl. Um, so when I got married, like I really meant it. You know, this wasn't something that I entered into lightly. It wasn't something that like I could have married anybody. This like I really thought this was, was my real. person. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there was a lot of shame around potentially leaving that marriage um that I had to deal with. <clears throat> so it was it was heavy. It was heavy for me to make that decision, but because of that heaviness and because of that the seriousness with which I'd entered into that relationship, it really forced me to look at why does this keep happening? Why do I keep going through this same pattern with men? Um, you know, r- romantic relationships are, are like my kryptonite. Men mm-hmm. have always been like my kryptonite. They've mm-hmm. always been my kind of weak spot where my codependency shows up um, hardest, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, and that's when I discovered that it wasn't just him or it wasn't just men. It was like, it was me too yeah um so yeah that was where my journey started and that awareness began I think a couple of years ago mm-hmm. so by that point I'd already been coaching people I'd already been actually working with a lot of women who I now can see were codependent um I'd been helping them with tools to work on the codependency but without really understanding it and having a name for it and now I have a name for it and now I'm actively in that recovery and focused on that for myself it's it's been a really amazing clarifying process for me to be able to actually then create this body of work which is all about you know it's all about helping women to recover to escape from this exhausting soul destroying uh, cycle of codependency um and just being able to put a name on it and speak about it really clearly yeah. has been yeah it's just such an amazing thing for me and I I really know that this is my life's work and this is what this is the lesson that I came to learn and this is the thing that I needed to come and understand Joe, I'm feeling all the feels I'm feeling very emotional at the moment because I'm going to veer into a question that I'm going to ask you later but when you work with women who are in this cyclical behavior and they are deeply entrenched to this habit, and they're deeply attached to their role as a victim, the work that you do with them is so emotive. I remember as a social worker, really being frustrated at women, occasionally men, but usually my work was with women. Mm. Yeah. And I would sit in my car, and sometimes I would cry, because Mm. I would think, My goodness, whilst there is a huge section of this, which is him doing this to you, 
Why can't you see the role that you are playing and that if you stopped playing a role and actually thinking about living, you would get off this Ferris wheel by by any means necessary. And I'm just thinking about the fact that I never really had anywhere to discuss that. So when I had supervision with my manager or when we were having like group discussions about work that was going on, it was always very much from a performance point of view. Right. So X equals Y, therefore you need to do Z. There was no real conversations about, well, what do I do with all of this? I just became like a container. Hmm. Anyway, that's my, but I want to read this that I I cut and paste from your website because I really think it speaks to what you're saying about being clear. You wrote, I had realised that I needed to love myself first and foremost and that I needed to start my path to becoming whole instead of searching for someone else to finally complete me. I even bought myself an engagement ring on that trip. I got committed to myself. Eight months later, I married a narcissist. (laughs) yep but that just goes to show that and that's why I talk about you know our egos are slick you do a level of work and you think you're all good but you haven't sometimes you just peel back the first few layers you get to that okay then it's a bit uncomfortable I can deal with that but you like you haven't really dug deep 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 to actually really have an honest look and think something's got to change and the only thing I can change is me yeah oh man that that trip uh so that um that's kind of that's like the story I suppose that's the beginning of my story Mm -hmm. really because that was um, so I was on a coaching retreat in New York and I got this I got a tattoo on my forearm forearm that says whole with it with a w W H O L E, because I'd had this realization that that's what I needed to do was become whole. I was like, oh, okay. And I thought I was like, oh my god, this is huge. And that is a huge realization. Um, I think I, I was so I was like 27 at the time, and I was like, oh my god, this is massive. Like it's a massive realization. Also, that's going to be a massive piece of work. And at the time, I'd started dating. Literally, just started. At, I don't know if we'd, I don't think we'd been on a date yet. I think we were just kind of texting. So I'd literally just met the guy that I was going to marry, that I would marry eight months later. So this is in January and we got married in August of the same year. Um, And actually, tell me the truth is, I kind of felt a bit smug. I thought, oh, I've had this great revelation that I need to become whole. And I've been given this gift of this perfect man who is going to be my husband. And that actually I am going to be in this relationship, which is going to be super perfect. And he's like my soulmate and we're going to create this life together. And through that journey with him, I will continue my work on myself to become whole. And I thought that I'd been like given this gift Mm -hmm. and it was a gift not in the way that you expected no it was like when Sharon Osbourne used to leave like a dog shit in a Tiffany box on people's doorsteps that's that was <laughs> no she gift. did that <laughs> yeah people that she didn't like that's what she used to give okay. them so I got this Tiffany I like I got this Tiffany box but then when I opened it up there wasn't a it's diamond ring it was a dog shit <laughs> Well, you know, I've I've said this like loads of times in the past six months, I'm sure. But, you know, shit is fertiliser. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, so true. And and thank you for your honesty. I really appreciate you saying that you had done that piece of work and was a bit smug. Oh, it happens so to us. smart. Yeah, it so happens. Smart. I was like, I am 27 years old. And I've got my <laughs> I'm a life grown up. woman. Oh, yeah, look at me. I've got my whole tattoo on my arm hey. and I've got my husband yes. and like, fuck I've you all. I'm, I'm the best. Yes. My life's wrapped up. <laughs> oh. So hilarious. But that, like, that was the gift because that was the true beginning of the work. The universe was like, oh, you're ready to become whole. All right, then. Here you go. Realize that you're a fucking codependent and then go and do the work we've been trying to get you to do for your whole life. Yeah. And what's going to massively speed up this process is if you'll just hurry up and marry this narcissist because that's going to kick you into action. And and also, like, I like I was a I was a gift and a lesson for him, too. Whether he chooses to learn that lesson is up to him. Like, mm-hmm. I can't do anything about that. But, you know, just as every relationship in his life, you know, he, he was married before. He, he's he got a child. Um, you know, he's had other long-term relationships. They've all ended. There's, all, there's been a lesson mm-hmm. in every single one Common of them for him as well. There. Sorry? Common denominator there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for me too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like seeing both sides. So it's not like oh, I'm this special person and he's like nothing. He's like some pawn in my life. No, like we came together because we both had a lesson to learn. Like he needs to learn that he's narcissistic. He's got this deep well of shame inside him that he needs to look at and and try and like soothe and heal. And if he does that, then he can have healthy relationships too. Yeah. And so like, of course he's smashed up against me who is just like bowling around with like a shaved head and all my like <laughs> radical feminist views and I'm not going to shut the fuck up about anything yeah. and I'm just like make his life really hard yeah yeah <laughs> yeah of course that's like yeah. a green light yeah so it's like and I always say this you know if you're a, if you're a spiritual person or if you believe in like signs or fate or vibes or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it quite honestly I don't get hung up on the language but like I would say the universe will it like whispers in your ear and it taps you on the shoulder and then it'll kind of like give you a clap around the ear roll and then when you like if you don't listen it's just gonna smack you around the head with a baseball bat totally like the lessons just keep coming like hard and when fast. are you going to learn yeah, like bigger and harder. And I get this. So many people say this to me, friends, clients, everybody. They're like, oh, another fucking lesson. I'm like, you know, when the lesson will stop when you learn it. <laughs> like do Absolutely. the work, woman. Do the work and the lessons will stop and life will start to flow. But you've got to be willing to like get into the muck and mire of it and actually do the hardship. And when you do that, like then life, it feels counterintuitive because you're like, oh no, I just want to be in flow. And like, we want to float along the surface of life. But actually, we've got to get down into the, we've got to get down and dirty into like the deep, hard, difficult stuff. And when we're willing to do that, then life does flow. Yeah. Already, I think that for some people, this could be quite a triggering conversation. Definitely. And I think that being triggered, what my belief is that being triggered is usually a part of you recognizing something uncomfortable or lacking um so in order to be able to get to the part where you can get down and dirty how can someone that's triggered by this conversation and in a pattern of codependency move from being 
triggered and defensive in hearing this sort of thing to becoming curious? So first thing, take a breath. Like, I agree with you definitely that I think a lot of the time there is something in feeling triggered. Um, I also think self-care is really important. And I think if you try and force something on yourself, just like if you try and force it on somebody else, it's not going to work. So take like, take a breath, take a pause, come back and listen again. If you need to listen again, um, know that everything that I say, I say with love and no judgment, because I've done it all. Mm -hmm. Like I've been there, I've done it, I've made the mistakes. And that's honestly why I feel really comfortable about being very forthright in the things that I say and very straightforward because, because I've, I've lived the experience. I don't come at it from some sort of abstract, like, Oh, I learned this in college. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I lived it. I've been there. I've done it. I've like, I've told myself the lies. I've told other people the lies. I've made the mistakes. Like, I just, I've done it all anyway yeah. have, like that's a whole nother podcast that's like, the <laughs> that's like the x-rated like outtakes wow but, yeah <laughs> um, my interest has peaked <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like okay tuning in um Certainly. so like take a breath take care of yourself and I would say allow yourself to sit with it don't be don't feel that you have to get this straight away. I certainly didn't get it straight away. I had a counselor tell me that I was with somebody who was narcissistic and, and she kind of told me that, but then very quickly moved into, so you need to know that bit of information, but actually there's nothing you can do about that except work on you. And she advised me to get out of the relationship. And she said like, let's get you healthy. Like, let's get you to a point. And I, I was like, all I could think was like, nah, I'm the victim. He's the bad person. And for six months, maybe I sat in that. And all I, all I could do was research narcissists. All I could do was look at how bad he was Mm -hmm. and all the things that he'd done and, and all of this crap. And then, and then actually just got to a point where I was exhausted and I realized there was nothing I could do to change him. There's nothing you can do to change anybody, but especially somebody who's got that sort of personality trait, Mm -hmm. their whole, um, their whole personality construct is built on the fact that they're not wrong. So you're never going to get them to admit that they're wrong. You're never going to get them to admit or like, you're never going to get them to a point where they want to go and get help for themselves. So I had to kind of exhaust that in myself. And so if I could give anyone who's listening to this, who feels triggered, who finds who, who is in that kind of victim stage <clears throat> or perhaps is having the realization right now as we're talking like, oh, maybe that's what I'm in. Um, the shortcut I would give you is to one, think about what can you do about you? So something I've learned in uh, my codependence anonymous recovery is my sponsor says to me, what's Joe doing about Joe? And that's just, that's one of the most profound things anybody's ever said to me. What's Joe doing about Joe? What are you doing about you? Mm-hmm. Think because about that. Unquote victims are often um, distracting themselves with doing for other people. I'm such a nice person. I do all of this for you. I mm-hmm. decide that, I the other. I give up myself for you and look what you do to me. Mm. And, a, and a lot of the way that we manage pain as well is to try and, is to control circumstances outside of ourselves. 
Um, I, I've been doing that for a very long time. I used to do it with my body when I was a teenager because as a teenager, the only thing I had control over was my body. Mm-hmm. So that's I would try and control my body through an unhealthy relationship with eating and exercise mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And like I've been doing it my whole life. When I read okay. this on your website and you you talked about, I think maybe we talked about it in DM or something, manipulate and control with kindness. Yes. What do you yeah. mean? Like when I read that, I was like, I know, I've seen this, but what yeah. do you mean by that? Because some people think like, how can kindness be manipulative? Yes, exactly. And this is one of the things that isn't often spoken about um, in codependency. And codependency is often spoken about in terms of being an empath or a highly sensitive person. I think actually those things are different. I think mo pretty much like 99% of codependent people will be empathic or highly sensitive or intuitive because that's how we've been trained to be is very attuned to other people's needs Mm -hmm. but not all empaths and highly sensitives and intuitives are codependent because the codependent part is the unhealthy part the addictive part so you can absolutely be an empowered and super healthy empath so it's kind of something I really don't like about like the self-development spiritual guru mm-hmm. industry, which I, hi, I'm part of, I'm very spiritual <laughs> book, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I'm totally happy to call out the parts of the, the industry and the marketing, the messaging that I'm just not down with. Cause I think it actually confuses things. And I think it lets people sit more into that victim mentality and be very much like, Oh, I'm just like this kind, gentle, caring empath. And yeah, you are. And if you're codependent, you almost certainly manipulate people with kindness and control them with kindness. And what that looks like is um, not being able to speak your truth because you are afraid of what will happen if you speak your truth. So instead of saying to somebody, um, oh, Tamu, could you do this for me? Or actually, Tamu, I'd prefer it if you stop doing that. What I'll do instead is try and do everything for you. I'll try and kind of like manipulate you, try and ingratiate myself towards you to get you to do the thing that I can't ask you to do. Joe. (laughs) Joe. Yeah. I haven't done that, that really, well, to a degree in terms of like stating my needs. My addiction is independence. So stating my needs and sharing that I'm vulnerable is a space that I'm very, very new to. However, Mm. I'm really, it's like a a, a weight off my shoulder the more I'm flexing that muscle. Yeah. But that thing that people do, it is, I just think, don't do that because what you're doing, you're not giving from a place of flow overflow enjoyment Mm -hmm. joy willing you're giving resentfully so that you can hold on to that receipt and say but I did this fam no one asked you exactly yeah and actually if they did ask you did you do it yeah like did you do it because you wanted to do it or did you do it because you were popping that one in your back pocket because you were hoping for a favor later down the line and actually when you don't get it on your timeline or you don't get it in the way that you want it you feel resentful Hmm. and if you ever give if you ever feel resentful after giving or you regularly feel resentful after giving you can pretty much guarantee that you you're not giving from a a place of pure intention and you were probably trying to control that person out of kindness um and the other the other way that it shows up as well is um 
trying to hold on to somebody. So trying to hold on to a relationship. This happens a lot actually with uh, mothers and kids. So almost try, um, this, this actually happened with my mom. My mom definitely did this with me and my sister. Sorry. Are you an only child? No, I've got an older sister. Okay. Uh, so this happened with both me and my sister is, um, almost like, oh, what's the word? So she, she kind of almost took away our independence by being so overgiving to the point where, I mean, I'm like fierce, I'm kind of like fiercely independent. It's so weird that I'm codependent and independent, but like, I just want to say that can, that can happen. A lot of the strongest, most badass, successful people you see in this world are codependent. Like it takes a lot of fucking strength to be codependent because you are not only doing all the work of your own life, you are also usually doing the work of a whole nother person's life or several other people's lives. So usually you're like, you are like the emotional elite athlete of the world because you are just fucking lifting so much every day. Um, so please don't be fooled that codependent people are weak. Um, but yeah, so I, I really kind of pushed back against that. And I really tried, I really had to push to try and be independent and just, learn things like actually how to take care of myself, how to cook, how to do laundry, like Mm -hmm. how to manage my finances. Mm -hmm. But it's quite common for codependent parents to try kind of trying to take that away and and make their children very reliant on them. And it's also really common as well in um, relationships, particularly uh, straight relationships, women kind of taking control of their male partner's lives. Making Um, them like infants. Yes, really infantilizing them. And, but then feeling resentful and exhausted. Of course, you feel resentful and exhausted because you are taking on the weight of all of your life and all of their life. But you're not doing it because you just love that. You're not doing that because it was your dream to be like a 1950s housewife. You're doing it because you're so terrified that they're going to leave. And so you're trying to make them so dependent on you. You're like, so it's called enmeshment. Mm-hmm. You're trying to get this like mm-hmm. unhealthy mm-hmm. connection with them where they totally rely on you so that they can't leave. And so that's I where like... I with like, a woman who, when she and her partner moved in together, she encouraged him to, when he took his clothes off, leave them on the floor. She would sort anything domestic. They both worked anything domestic and and she had children from a previous relationship so she was working school run all that kind of caper and when she explained I just thought my goodness you believed that you were punching above your weight you believed that you were not worthy of this man you believed that you weren't enough that you made yourself this man's skivvy in order to keep him She really believed in order to keep and satisfy her man, that's what she needed to do. And then she started telling herself the story when he became really abusive, that it's because she hadn't cleaned, cooked, this, that, the other. No, this man has a history of abuse. You have a history of neglect. You have a history of emotional abuse. Therefore, you walk around feeling like you're not worthy. And this man has just sucked into that. But when when she said, 
she told him, oh, no, don't worry about that, love, I'll do it. I was like, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> and the the awful irony of that is actually that, one, anybody that allows you to do that is not a healthy person and is probably going to end up abusing you. Whether they are codependent or they're narcissistic, they're going to have some sort of kind of in, unhealthy emotional imbalance, which like they want to take advantage of you. They're happy for that. They want that enmeshment to happen because in some way it serves them. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, that is going to turn off any healthy person anyway. Like a healthy person does not want you, does not want to be infantilized. They're going to lose respect for you. You're going to be exhausted and resentful. That's that's not attractive. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really, I'm really loath to tell women what is and isn't attractive, no, but I, I tell I, you what, I tell you what is attractive in a woman is somebody who is lit up and full up and fulfilled and energized and loving her life. Not a woman who is running around like a skivvy, um, like exhausting herself, giving on empty constantly that's just a not a nice vibe from anyone in any way, whether it's a work situation, whether it's a romantic situation. So it's it's like it's actually doing the complete opposite of what you want. And, and that's why it's just like so fucked up. Like codependency is an addiction. It's like there isn't an alcoholic in the world that lifts like a sip of booze to their lips and thinks, This is doing me good. Mm. They think it takes away my pain. Mm-hmm. It's what I know. Mm-hmm. It's habit. Mm-hmm. I like life's going to be easier after I take this sip, but nobody thinks it's going to be good for them. And it's exactly the same with codependency. We mm. run around picking up the socks. We say yes when we mean no. We overextend ourselves. We work unpaid hours. And we know it doesn't make us feel good, but it just feels safe. And it feels like this is what I have to do to survive. This is what I have to do to succeed. So I'm just going to keep doing it because I don't actually know any better. And so in that way, it's just like any other addiction. And the congregation said, amen. <laughs> what you're saying, I, I um, saw a clip of my friend Anya, who's on Instagram as mothers.wellness.toolkit. And she was at an event that was talking about mums and fitness and this, that and the other. And she said something about um, you don't pour from your cup, you pour from your saucer. And I thought, the fuck? Yes. Let yes. your cup be overflowing. Let me tell you something. When my cup is overflowing and I give, you think, or not not even think, you can feel that you're getting premium tan. You know you are. Do you know what? (laughs) My truth is I don't really give from half full. If I'm feeling lacking, I I can't do it. I I just haven't got it. But if previously I would, and I'd be like, I'm not enjoying myself. For example, why am I going to this place to show my face when I'm damn tired? I've got to be up early in the morning. I've got all these things going on. When I'm coming to your whatever and I am full, I'm the life and soul. I'm not necessarily in the middle dancing on a table, but I am the life and soul. Let me give you the life and soul because my cup runneth over. Yeah. 
It's so much healthier. It's not greed. It's not selfish. I am so full that I have enough to give you quality, quantity, and you're going to feel full and you're going to know that I really want to give this to you. You're not going to know or you're not going to think to yourself, it's duty. Yeah. My duty is to my child. I made her. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so there is duty and to a degree to my mum. But everybody else, when you see me or when I do whatever, you know I want to. What's more beautiful than that? Yeah, exactly. And it's like nobody wants that resentful, sad, half full face showing up. Like that doesn't add anything. It it actually detracts. It actually takes away. So I often find that's quite a, a helpful tool for people who are first kind of discovering their codependency because we're so attached to giving to other people and pleasing other people and what other people think and what the people want. So I'm like, if it helps flip it around to how you actually present to other people when you're like that. And let me tell you that your exhausted, resentful self actually doesn't give them what you think you're giving them. So if you really, really want to stay stuck in that, like, I want to give to people, I want to be this generous person. I want to see the good in people. Yeah. Like if you really want to be in that place, like cut back on half the shit you're doing for everybody. Let's just cut back by 50% yeah. and see how much more effective actually you are at being that giving, kind, loving person. Like there's a first step for you. Like yeah. there's an idea. Yeah. <laughs> Another quote from your website Amongst other things, that means I'm a chronic people pleaser. I overgive love, money and time. I attract dysfunctional and abusive relationships. I then stay in those relationships, trying to make them work for too long. How did you, like what practical steps did it take for you to transition from the people pleasing to getting... <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, to that point where you realise I need my cup to be running over to be able to give in a way that is really loving and the intention is high vibe. Mm. It was hard and it was messy and it continues. The work continues. <laughs> the work continues. People are the back. Open your ears and listen. She said... <laughs> The walk, it continue. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, a woman. <laughs> when we meet, you're getting the biggest inappropriate long hug ever. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it's messy and it's hard. And honestly, the way I think the way I had to do it was catching myself in the act. Actually, that was the first thing that I would do is I had to make some really hard decisions on cutting back on what I'm actually going to do. I had to start putting some standards and some boundaries in place on. So 
I think this is the way it happens for a lot of people. So say you're in a relationship, and I think this shows up so often for women in relationships, but if you are codependent, please don't tell me you're just codependent in relationships. You're codependent everywhere, love. <laughs> like you've, you will probably have one area where it shows up big for you and it might be your kids. It might be your marriage. It might be your work, but you are codependent in all those areas. It's just that one is taking up so much of your energy that that's where it's most obvious. So for me, it was romantic relationships. Um, so I think, and I think this is the way it happens for most people is it's too, it's usually too hard to decide, right? I'm just going to leave this and I'm going to get out and I'm going to cut my ties, especially if you're just figuring this out. So what you usually have to do is start putting in some boundaries and some standards and it's really fucking hard and it's awkward and it's creaky. It's weird for the other person because they've been used to you being one way Mm -hmm. all this time. And actually that's the thing you fear the most is not the boundaries. You love the idea of getting some energy back, like in your heart and your soul, like your brain is fucking you over but like there's a little something inside that's like yeah mm-hmm. like some time and some energy mm-hmm. back would be great mm-hmm. thanks um but you're most terrified of actually what the other person's going to feel they're going to be weirded out there might be some pushback from them depending on their personality style they might be passive aggressive they might just be straight up aggressive um it might cause cause some arguments it might cause some confusion um but you've kind of got to test that boundary. You've got to put it in place and say, okay, I'm going to actually stick with this, however difficult and hard and awkward it is. And then you have to see the reaction of that other person and be like, so if I don't pick up your socks, you are a 38 year old man and you're going to throw a hissy fit. Hmm. Is this what I want in my life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and that's what, that's what, how it was for me is, okay, I'm going to pull back on what I'm willing to do for you. I'm going to pull back on the emotional labor that I am willing to work. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pull back on the physical labor, on the financial labor, actually, and I'm going to start evening this out. I'm going to, I'm not, I'm going to even this out by pulling back and it's up to you whether you want to fill the gap or not. And that's kind of the test. And so that was, that's like the messy part is I think you've got to be willing to go through that, like, messy like testing those edges like what works for you what's acceptable for you and I think as you start to see the way that you get treated in response it actually becomes really easy it becomes much easier to firm up those boundaries and be like nah like (laughs) this is not something I'm willing to stay in that's how you want to treat me when I want a more equal life I'm just not willing and then and then you just start to solidify those and then hopefully whatever you decide to do in the situation you're in, whether you decide to stay or go, whether you can figure it out or not with this person or with this work situation, whatever it is, you carry those boundaries forward and you start to carry that strength forward. And you actually, I actually just like now know I have a set of like boundaries and bottom lines of what I know won't be crossed before I even enter any kind of interaction Mm -hmm. with a person. And again, whether I'm signing a contract for work, whether I'm getting into a dating relationship with somebody, even in like a flirtation mm-hmm. over text, mm-hmm. I know my boundary and I know what's cool. I know what I'm going to give and where I'm going to stop and where I'm going to be like, no, I'm going to be like, no, sorry, no yeah. nudes, no yeah. paparazzi. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. Yes. Yeah. So you have practiced this habit 
so much, but it is now a natural habit putting the boundaries in it's mostly natural yeah it is mostly natural I sometimes still catch myself and this is who this is part of the messy part is catching yourself and rolling it back and Mm. that is really hard for codependence as well actually is to say yes when you meant no and then go back and say no anyway is to go yes or go actually I've changed my actually no when I said yes what I meant was no that doesn't feel good for me and I want to be honest with you because I feel like this whole thing, this whole situation just works better when I'm honest. So if I'm honest, it's going to be a no. If I'm honest, actually, I need it to be like this instead. This is my boundary. Can we renegotiate that? And depending on the answer, you can decide whether you want to stay in it or not. Depending on the answer, you can decide like, do you want to move forward with this or not? And you've got to be willing actually to do that messy emotional work of saying, no, actually, that's not going to be cool for me anymore. And it's, very reminiscent of the whole like me too movement that the movement around like awakening around consent Mm. and it's that thing of actually being able to stop in the middle of something and say not working for me can't do it meant no and and that being okay the other day I was thinking about conversations somebody put something in some Facebook group and they were talking about consent and I said with regards to the conversation about consent The conversations I have with my daughter who is 12, so it's in an age-appropriate way, is about let your no be no and let your yes be yes. Because I'm thinking about, it's so, it is a real challenge to say yes and think, shit, that should be a no and go back and say, actually, do you know what? My yes was a no. There are so many people that think, well, I've said yes now, so I've got to. And when we were having the conversation about consent, I just remember being, you know, in my mid to late teens thinking that or buying into this kind of like playing hard to get narrative so saying yes no saying no when I really meant yes my Mm. mouth was saying no but my body language was saying yes and Mm. boys literally so used to that dance of well actually no means yes and yes means yes but what happens when no means no and you know gosh I'll be really real and I'm sure that there will be women out there that can resonate. I have been in situations where I have been in a physical way with, a, a, I was a teenager at the time or early 20s, a boy, young man. And I thought, actually, I don't want to. But I felt like I've gone so far now, like I've got to. Yeah, almost like my it's child. yeah and like like I've led him on or whatever and I don't want not even led him on like sometimes I thought I wanted to and then I'm like no actually I don't even want to kiss you never mind have sex with you so I really want really want I'm really doing the job with my daughter of letting her (coughs) sorry excuse me it's January all the coughs and colds I'm really passionate about doing the job with my daughter so that she knows her no is affirmative. Her yes is affirmative. If you want to do something, don't do this. Oh, no, I, oh, no, I don't. Oh, I can't. All that. If you want to, you want to. If you don't, you don't. I think we really need to empower our daughters or give our daughters that skill because I think that they're by no means am I making an excuse for anyone. Abuse is abuse, full stop. Mm -hmm. But there are cases when your brain is still, 
you know, forming, norming and all of that kind of stuff, where if you are being conditioned to think no means maybe, maybe means yes, yes means mess and all of that, we're just designing another generation of men who think they can just take what they want because we're never clear about what we want. There is no shame in saying, let's talk about a sexual situation. There is no shame in in you being fully informed about what sex is, about having information, not just about the physical impacts, but the emotional impacts of sex and saying yes. Mm -hmm. When you're 14, 15, you might think you know, but you don't know. But there comes a point when you're fully understanding and it's healthier healthier for you to be in a position where you can say yes with your chest. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Let your yes, yes. Be yes. And it's so so much of this actually is all just the same narrative of how we've trained <clears throat> In a patriarchal society, we've trained women to be subservient. We've trained men to be dominant. We've trained women to give in to the will of men. And yes, as you said, as you mentioned earlier, it definitely does happen the other way around. There are absolutely narcissistic women and codependent men. But from what I see, from my experience and from my research, we have an epidemic of codependent women and narcissistic men. And it creates this dynamic and this cycle of abuse where women feel that they they can't say what they want either way. And so they manipulate and overgive. Men take advantage of that. And that goes from everything from, you know, you know, brief sexual encounters as a teenager or mm-hmm. sort of romantic encounters as a teenager up to full-blown, you know, marriages. Mm-hmm. Man, I just, uh, last night I watched um, Mary Queen of Scots and I was like, oh, that's what that. this whole movie is about. Wow. It's about patriarchy, feminism, queens, queens. Like back in the 1500s when this film is set, when the when Mary Queen of Scots and Elizabeth I were around, they were considered the holiest of the holy. They, Being a monarch was considered a God-given right. You were chosen by God <clears throat> to rule over this land. Mm-hmm. And the whole narrative of the film is about these women trying to, one of them trying to use her feminine wiles to try and manipulate men who wanted to dominate and oppress her. And another one, the other one becoming, having to basically become a man. And she actually says that. She says, I am more man than woman. This is Elizabeth I. Because mm-hmm. uh, she chose never to marry and never to bear a child. Because she was paranoid about someone stealing her crown. Because she knew all the men just wanted to dethrone her. Because exactly. she marries a she marries a man, makes him a king. Mm. And all of a sudden, he takes away her power. And mm. she didn't want that. And that, so there's... Like this whole power dynamic has been going on for tens of thousands of years when we switched from a matriarchy to a patriarchy. And this is where the whole codependent narcissistic dynamic comes from. And that's why it's so easy to trip into these patterns of behavior. If there's any sort of dysfunction in your family early on, any sort of emotional dysfunction, and for a lot of us there is, um, 
I hope yeah. that's changing now as we become, as our generations become much more emotionally developed and emotionally mm -hmm. aware parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way our parents were brought up. And it just gets passed down the lines, down generations through generations, you know, addiction, dysfunction, <clears throat> control, manipulation, abuse. If it isn't fixed in the generation above yours, you better know you're getting it too. Yes. And if you don't fix it, you're going to pass it to your kids too. What an inheritance. Yeah. And something that I find really um, interesting is that relationships, and I'm talking about romantic relationships, I'm talking about friendships, I'm talking about, you know, colleague relationships. It's like we've fallen into this trap of some kind of Mills and Boone where <laughs> relationships are fulfilling as long as we're not talking about uncomfortable emotional feelings. So if I'm saying, oh my gosh, I love you, you're so great. If I'm saying, oh my goodness, that piece of work is excellent, thank you. If I'm saying, oh my goodness, you're my best friend in the whole wide world, that's all good. But mm -hmm. the moment that changes to, you're my, um, you're my husband, I love you more than anybody in the whole wide world, and when you behave like this, it makes me feel like this, all hell breaks loose. Mm -hmm. Like, and, and, and within that, there are within that I think it would be beautiful to be able to have that as a conversation not you're saying I'm a bad person you're saying I do this to you sometimes the conversation is that you're my husband I adore you I love you more than anybody in the world however or and when you do this it makes me feel small it makes me feel like you don't value me all those sorts of things mm-hmm for people to be healthy enough to say, I'm listening, I might not be able to respond right now because I'm triggered TF and I need time to process and come back to it and continue to have that as a, co a conversation. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily come back and say, well, on the 4th of February, you did this. On the 12th of December, you did this. I didn't say anything. To say, actually, when I reflect on that, when I think about it, this sequence of events happened and my response was X and then you did Y and then I went to this place. That's not saying I'm blaming you for this or I'm to blame for this. That is saying, actually, this is a relationship. It's a two-way street. We're both giving, we're both taking. Let's explore what we're giving and taking and see how we can move forward. Mm-hmm. I think something that's re a really important point to bring up around this is um, if you are in a, an abusive situation, so we've talked a little bit about the like abuser victim dynamic mm -hmm. um, and we've talked about not getting stuck in that victim dynamic. So for me, it's quite everything in life is nothing really in life is black and white. Everything really just sits in the gray areas in the Absolutely. middle and it's all just nuance and fine lines, yeah, which, yeah. you know, I, I love that. I love working in that place, but yeah, it, does, it can, it can make it difficult for mm -hmm. us to tread, but Hey, like that's the joy of life. We're figuring it out. So for me, like there's this fine line where if you really want to live a healthy, fulfilled life, you can't do it in a victim status. And <clears throat> that doesn't mean that that person hasn't also been abusive to you. Mm -hmm. So 
you can have been abused and not have to be a victim and not have to actually make that your identity. So both things can be true. Um, and you don't have to let it define you in that way that I've been abused or I'm a victim. Like I, I, I see that I was in an emotionally, psychologically, financially abusive relationship. That's just a fact of my life. And yet I don't feel like a victim and I don't come from a place of victimhood. I own my part in it. I also call out his part because like, I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to protect anybody for their bad behavior. I don't, I just think we're not in that age anymore. Like I'm just going to call it out. But you're not allowing it to define the entirety of you. No. And that's why my work focuses on codependency, not narcissism, because it's not about him. It's about me. It's not about them. It's about you. It's like, how can I help you? Not how can I try and focus on your ex-boyfriend or whatever? I'm not interested in that. Like that's gone. That's done. What we can work on is us. Um, and I think what's really important about that kind of that like healthy discussion thing that you, that you talked about a moment ago, that good dynamic of a healthy discussion and something we need, we need to be really aware of in the dynamic where someone is an abuser is that we can be gaslit. Mm. Um, and I think that's something to be aware of and the way, so gaslighting for people who aren't familiar with it is basically where one partner will, um, diminish and, um, like belittle everything that you say and kind of make you feel so you'll you'll come to a conversation with an issue and then they send you away apologizing mm-hmm. and like what you kind make of it um it's almost like they provoke you to a point where you think oh actually maybe it is me it's not you yeah okay, I'm it is me. oh and it eventually over time it leaves you feeling like you're crazy yeah so it comes from this really creepy like super old film called gaslight where ah. this lady was like so that's where it comes from i didn't know that so, oh my god every time i describe it i'm going to describe it in a minute because it freaks me out but like i feel like it um it really sums up the concept very well so i'll chat about that in a moment but so gaslighting can be something that happens in abusive relationships and if you find yourself taking an issue that you have to your partner and what you get back is them immediately flipping that round onto you, whether it's a different situation or quite often it's usually the same situation that you took to them. So say you say something like, um, I feel like you actually don't compliment me as much as you used to. Like my love language is words of affirmation. I really love it actually when we can spend some time chatting and when you are interested in my work and when we can discuss that. And I feel like that's something that's dropped off. If their immediate reaction is defensiveness and they want to flip it around on you and say, yeah, well, you know what? You don't compliment me anymore and blah, blah, blah. That's like a big sign that this is not a healthy dynamic. If that person that you are having the conversation with is not actually willing to hear you and is not willing to own their part, and you know what? They may genuinely feel the same way, but if you can't take that to a person and they can actually absorb it, however triggered and upset it might make them, there's a massive clue for you there that this is not a healthy dynamic, it's not a healthy relationship, and you might want to reconsider. Mm. Um, You really want to be with a person that can handle loving honesty and that you can handle loving honesty back from them and that it actually feels like loving honesty, not like defensive 
tit-for-tat bullshit, like one-upmanship. That's not a healthy relationship. And so I just have to describe this Gaslight film. It gives me the shivers every time I talk about it. So it's this film. It's like from the 1940s. It's got um, the lady from Murder, She Wrote in it, Jessica. Oh, what's I love it? her, Jessica Lansbury. Yeah, she's like 21. There's in someone it. on my Instagram. We follow each other and her name is Jessica Lansbury. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's like 21 in the film. That's mm-hmm. how old it is. <laughs> oh, wow. Because she's like a million, billion, trillion years old. <laughs> <laughs> We love you, Jessica Lansbury. We do. Love you. Um, And so what happens is like this young, beautiful woman, um, she inherits from her rich old aunt, like all this like money and these jewels and all the rest of it. Um, And her husband is having an affair and he decides that he, he and his girlfriend his mistress decide that they are going to drive his wife crazy and get her um, committed to insane asylum so that he can just like take all of her wealth. And the way, oh God, it gives me these shivers every single fucking time. It's so creepy. And so one of the ways that they do it is because it's like in the 1940s, they have gas lamps in the house. So he's like up in the loft and he uh, fiddles with the gas supply so that the lights flicker Oh, amongst other things. And he says to her, she'll say, did you, did you see that? Did you see the lights? No. And he says, what? What light? No. What are you talking about? I didn't see that. Classic. And it's like, if you, if that's happened in your relationship, you know. So if somebody shouts and screams and raises their voice at you and you say, please don't shout and scream and raise your voice at me. And they say, I'm not shouting. You're the one shouting. <gasps> like, and they're like, or you, or you say to them, it's so upsetting to me when I like how aggressive you are. And they say, I'm not aggressive. You're the aggressive one. You know, there is something wrong. Like you, and if you're in that situation, you have to start recording this stuff and writing it down. Cause the whole point of that process is to make you feel crazy and is to undermine your sense of self and your sense of reality. So that, cause you do get to a point where you just believe what they say. Cause yeah. they say it with such confidence. You doubt like, yourself. And that's how we've been trained, particularly as women. We've been trained to doubt ourselves first. We've always been trained to think, God, was that me? Mm-hmm. Was it me? Instead of thinking, no, mm-hmm. I know that was mm-hmm. you. Like, I know myself. I know I know the level of my voice. I know my personality. I'm not an aggressive person. I know you're the one throwing plates, not me. And it's like, you have to start recording this stuff for your own sanity, like that's a, if you're in that situation, that's a really good first step. It it starts, you need to rebuild your foundation because that's the whole point of gaslighting is that it undoes your foundation. Yeah. Heavy shit, right? <laughs> My goodness gracious me. I was just, I was just looking, there's an account that I follow on Instagram called notes from your therapist And um, there was something that she posted not too long ago, and it said, raise your hand if you thought people were supposed to have minimal emotional needs in therapists, I mean, in relationships. (laughs) And it's like, a lot of this is about the expectation that the relationship is a place to fill you up, and that's it. But there's a Mm -hmm. whole nother part of it that we really need to give 
a lot of consideration. Okay, Joe, goodness gracious me. Tell me about Joe now. Where is, and, and I, I'm saying you because you've shared some of your previous experiences and I'm sure that your experiences are informing your work. Tell us where you are now in comparison to the person that, you know, was a chronic people pleaser, overgiving and all that kind of shizzle. So where I am now, like situated right here, right now, I actually have recently let go of a, of a relationship. Um, my first and only relationship since uh, separating from my husband. And it was a difficult decision, but it was the right decision. So that relationship was comparatively healthy. This person was not a narcissist, um, but it just wasn't right. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be forever for me. And the cool thing was we weren't enmeshed. I wasn't obsessed. It didn't suck up my whole life, but it got to a point where I thought, this this actually isn't going to be forever for me. I think we want some different things. I think we don't quite fully match. And I was able to let go of it. I didn't need to try and make it work. I didn't cling on. I didn't have to try and... You know, it's like he would have been such a great husband and a great father. Mm. Like, he would have been... He's a lovely man. That must be really hard to let go of it wasn't enough. Like it, that wasn't enough. Like the the content of the relationship, just, it wasn't enough for me. And so I've, I've allowed that to, I've released that from my life and I am single, not to mingle, maybe to mingle. I don't know. It depends on the day Yeah. right now. Um, and I just, my life feels so full for the first time in my life. I think I can really see how full my life is. Mm-hmm. I have amazing, fulfilling work that I love. I've got three fur babies, three doggy babies that are just like my life. Mm-hmm. I love them so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a home that I take care of. Mm-hmm. I'm financially independent, totally take care of myself. Um, I'm making more time for my family, repairing some relationships there. I have an amazing, weird, wonderful bunch of friends in real life Mm -hmm. on the internet Mm -hmm. from all walks of life, Mm -hmm. from old jobs, from dragon boating, from running (laughs) clubs, from like all these weird fucking things I've done Mm -hmm. all over the world from where I've traveled. Like, and my life actually is so full And I feel so grounded in who I am and what I want. Does it mean that every day is perfect? No. Does it mean that every day I'm like at like full energy, full speed and just loving life? No. There are days when I do not want to get out of bed, when like the house is like full of laundry and I'm like, oh, my life is a mess. I don't want to do anything. I feel totally demotivated. And yet, I always know how to bring myself back to center and I can always get there and it doesn't take a whole lot of time anymore. Mm. It might be a few hours. It might be a day, but like, it's not weeks. It's not months. It's like, it's not draining. It's not exhausting. And I just actually have a lot of trust and faith in myself and in my ability 
to bring myself back to center in my ability to bring myself back to who I am and where I want to be. Like I've gotten this far and I've been through some shit quite frankly. And all of it has just made me stronger. And I just feel, I feel so grounded and anchored. And this is one of the things I think codependency really does. And, um, I have this post about it on Medium. So if you want to like, just look me up on Medium, which is a really gorgeous space for like stories, um, check me out. Just, I'm just Joe Westwood on there. And it's what codependency feels like. And codependency makes you feel untethered. Uh, I wrote this line. It makes you feel like a balloon that slipped the hand of the child that's holding it. Mm. So you're like this balloon, just like, Ooh, like floating off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like this tiny little boat floating in an ocean with no anchor and like no oars and no direction. It yeah, may, no and that's why we seek for that anchor. We seek for that tether in relationships, in a job, in a, in a financial situation, in our children. And actually I am my anchor now. I'm my anchor. I am my tether and nothing can take that away from me. Nothing can knock that. Like I can have an off day. The anchor can get a bit rusty, but it never leaves. Like I'm here. Girl. (laughs) You talked about before, before we wrap up, you talked about healing. And when I'm listening to you speak, I'm like, it feels like all that work that you did and then giving your space to giving yourself space to heal rather than running to the next relationship just really allowed all of this stuff to marinate and Mm. become fully you. Yeah. It gives me that space to to ask myself, what do I really want? And this is a question I ask with clients So codependency, codependency is the root addiction and then it spills out into other addictions. And for me, the addiction was men, sex, relationships, male attention, any level of that that I could get. Um, For some people, it's food. For some people, it's booze. For some people, it's exercise. Mm -hmm. It spills out into some kind of outward, like, tether. And... For me, when whenever you're going into that addiction, whenever you're going out, out into that outward addiction to try and make yourself feel grounded, I would always say, like, ask yourself, what do I really want? What am I trying to get from this? What do I really want? And if it's to feel safe, if it's to feel loved, if it's to feel heard, to feel seen, then instead of doing that thing that is like a quick fix, it's like a band-aid over that that wound. Mm-hmm. Try and give yourself the really fulfilling thing that's going to make you feel loved, safe, seen, heard, whatever it is that you really need in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm, that's where I am now. Like I'm in this kind of vast open space that I get to fill and I get to ask myself that question. So yeah, absolutely. There are days when I crave, I crave male attention. I crave that love. I crave that sexual attention. Like, but what do I really want? it's, it's actually to feel loved. Well, I I can do that for myself. There are loads of things that I can give myself to Mm -hmm. feel loved in the moment. Mm -hmm. I can text a girlfriend and meet up with a friend and go out for a meal or have like the girls over and like 
you know, clink some Prosecco. Mm -hmm. And like, that makes me feel loved as well. I don't have to just go and dive into the next unhealthy relationship. And so that's why we condition ourselves to think that it's one thing. Yeah. You're saying, well, what I'm picking up from what you're saying is in that moment that you're feeling that I need the man, I need the sex, I need the physical contact, I need, I need, I need. Actually, there are other ways that you can fulfill that. So be Mm. open because I think there are lots of people that think love means in a romantic sense where actually Mm. you can get quite fulfilling love elsewhere listen it's not the same please believe I know that I'm not trying to say it's the same but if we're open instead of having this tunnel vision it needs to be six foot three and well hung (laughs) (laughs) Uh, if anybody knows that person my number is (laughs) oh seven nine me but but (laughs) (laughs) but sometimes what is underneath that carnal feeling is literally that I what you were saying I want to feel loved I want to feel valued I want to feel heard I want to feel seen Mm. how else can you create that within your life other than any guy that comes along because any guy is better than no guy or girl yes oh my god yes and so many times we stay in abusive and unhealthy situations because we would rather be in a horrible relationship that doesn't work for us than be alone Mm. the loneliness is what we're so afraid of why what are you running away from i think sit in that loneliness because whatever you're running away from is what you need to deal with the most yes and that's where you get to know yourself in that space and that's, and that's why it's so terrifying, quite frankly, is because we are terrified of meeting ourselves. We are terrified of really seeing the hurt, the shame, the pain, the wound, what we need to heal. That's the deep work. Of course, we're afraid of that. But like that, that, that's where the goodness is. Like that's where the richness and the realness and, and that authenticity of life is. So if you can be brave enough to just hold the stare, <clears throat> in that vast open space, all of life is there. Healing is there. Healthy relationships are there. Love is there. Fullness is there. That opportunity to actually have that overflowing cup is there. It's in that space. Girl. Joe, anybody that wants to connect with you after hearing this, how or, or do you have any offerings do you have any courses is there anything going on that people who may have been very interested in this conversation can access yes so i have a course called lovingly fierce um so that's an online self study course um and that's to help women recover from codependency um, so you can check that out on my website, joewestwood.com. And you can also find out about coaching with me one-to-one on there. So I have, uh, some limited spaces for some one-to-one clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and Instagram is where you'll find me hanging out most days. So I'm at joewestwood on Instagram. I'll make sure that there are links in the show notes. I've really enjoyed isn't the right word but it's the only word I can think of I've I've really valued this conversation and even though codependency isn't something I've I can identify like I've experienced that I've been involved with or, or done for lack of a better 
description. There's lots in what you said that definitely did resonate with me. And there's lots that I've seen in my life with other people. And I'm just like, I've got people that I am going to send this podcast and not be too concerned with them perhaps feeling, why the hell has she sent this to me? I think, yeah, there are some people that need that need to hear it. Wow. Yeah, yeah we've all you. got a codependent in our lives. <laughs> if it's not oh, us, goodness. you've got one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm even thinking like on a, on a, well, we were younger, we didn't have the language, but I'm even thinking about, people when we were younger that would say oh bloody hell she's a slag I know that we don't use that language anymore Mm. or we shouldn't be but I'm just thinking wow there are a number of people that I know that were let's say footloose and fancy free um and open um and I'm just like wow I can see a lot of this now it wasn't as simple as you like boys you like sex it Mm. was more about codependency filling a void people pleasing catching moments of intimacy because you're craving loving yeah because you weren't getting it probably as a child where you were meant to be getting it from which is from your family of origin and it so many of us trip into it because of that (sighs) joe it's been absolutely amazing you can now get back to loving each other on Instagram and commenting on every story. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, Tamu. It's been um, it's been gorgeous. It's been so lovely to chat with you and to share this message with your listeners and just be in your presence for this time. It's been really amazing. Thank you. And thank you for your openness. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to 360 Conversations. I appreciate you sharing your precious time with my guest and I. I hope you found the episode useful. I'd be so grateful if you could rate and review my podcast like an increasing number of our digital experiences, the algorithms rule. Your feedback will assist me reaching a wider audience and I'd really love to have more women being privy to or joining these conversations. The feedback I get following each episode is beautiful and tells me more women could benefit. As always, I'd love to keep the conversation going. You can join me by commenting on the podcast show notes on my website or via social media at Live360. I hope to engage with you soon. Podcast produced by me, Tammy Thomas. Podcast music produced by James Anderson. Take care.